Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, September 7th. We begin with an update on the hunt for the suspect from last weekend's deadly stabbing in Saskatchewan. We get the latest from Global News reporter Nathaniel Dove. Then we continue the conversation on the Saskatchewan tragedy. We speak with registered psychologist Kimberly Canull on the impact traumatic events can have on our mental health and the resources available for those having a tough time right now. Next, we get an update on the war in Ukraine. With cooler weather on the way, we look at the Russian power play to use energy as a weapon against ally countries supporting the Ukrainian people. We discuss the situation with Christian Luprecht, professor at the Royal Military College and Queen's University. And finally, do you suffer from chronic pain? We learn about a dynamic new treatment being offered by a Calgary medical clinic that could be a game changer for those who've been sidelined by nagging pain. RCMP continues to search for a suspect involved in multiple stabbings in Saskatchewan over the weekend. A tip yesterday led the search to a home on the James Smith Cree Nation, but it came up empty. With the latest, we are joined by Global News reporter Nathaniel Dove. Good morning to you, Nathaniel. Good morning, Andrew. Um, Nathaniel, RCMP searched a home yesterday, then issued an alert saying the suspect was not there. What do we know about the search this morning? Andrew, RCMP told Global News they received multiple possible sightings of Miles Sanderson yesterday around noon, sending out a notification, putting residents there into lockdown. I was nearby. We followed some RCMP vehicles in. going. They were going very, very quickly. Uh, residents in lockdown for three hours, not knowing a whole lot of information at that time. Uh, Global News has confirmed officers converged on the band office, donning body armor before searching. Uh, we heard some reports that Sanderson was seen at the north side of the band. Three hours later, turns out all this was false, a false alarm. Police not releasing any new information on where he is, but determining he was not at James Smith Cree Nation. You know, what are you hearing, uh, Nathaniel, from residents in these surrounding communities? And, and, and are they feeling supported during this trying time? They are receiving some support from uh, their friends, family, uh, certainly all the well wishes from across the world. At the same time, though, they're telling me not much can really pierce the, the pain and confusion they're experiencing, especially yesterday. I was speaking to a resident uh, telling me that this lockdown put them right back to where they were emotionally on Sunday morning when the stabbings occurred, saying this re-triggered them, saying this reignited their fears. Any understanding, any healing they had was, was now gone. Uh, they were telling me they want Miles Sanderson found. Only then do they think they'll get answers and closure. Do we have any uh, updated info on the victims still in hospital as far as the number of victims in hospital? Yes, as of yesterday, the Saskatchewan Health Authority telling us uh, of the 17 people they saw, there were 18 people injured in total. Of the 17 people who were in hospital, 10 were still there, 3 still in critical, critical condition. Uh, no new update as of uh, this morning, though, hopefully... We're hoping for the best. Such a grisly situation over the weekend. It uh, makes us think about other mass murders in Canadian history. How, how does this incident compare to, to some of the previous standouts? Well, it depends. Uh, like I say, there are some people still in uh, critical condition. That might elevate this even further. It certainly is one of the worst in a long time, especially in this province. Uh, and it comes, interestingly, close to... a. a not long after the Porta Pick incident, uh, 22 people dead there. So far, only 10 here. But uh, the shock waves in the small communities here are very, very profound. Uh, certainly, the most defining uh, historical event here for many people for a very, very long time that may define, unfortunately, the communities, uh, the life here for some time yet to come. 
we've become accustomed to, to getting these alerts, uh, kind of these amber alerts on our phones and our TVs and across the radio stations. Are you hearing anything as far as their effectiveness is concerned from residents in the area about these alerts? Are, are they appreciative of them? Appreciative, uh, yes, they, they, they like the the help that they provide the information at the same time though they say they're they're triggering hearing that sound again uh brings them back to the the terrifying moments they were in during sunday morning and subsequent times since then especially yesterday it's it's probably the the necessary evil at this point Mm -hmm. to keep everyone safe are we expecting any more updates today nathaniel uh, when do you expect to hear next from officials We're hoping to get a confirmed list of victims as soon as today from RCMP. Potentially that could also come tomorrow. James Smith Cree Nation is holding a press conference on the Van Territory tomorrow. We do have some new information from Regina Police late yesterday. They believe Miles Sanderson may no longer be in the Regina area. He, or at least his vehicle, the vehicle he's believed to be in, was last spotted there Sunday morning. With people being on alert, Nathaniel, are you seeing access to, to stores and businesses? Or are some of these stores and businesses essentially shut down during this time of, of searching in the region? Absolutely. Uh, hotels are locking their doors. You need to knock on the windows to get in. A lot of people in the area are very tense, especially after the, the panic yesterday with the lockdown, highlighting the fact that people do not know where he is. In a sense, that could mean Sanderson is anywhere. It could mean he's nearby. Uh, Police not releasing any new information, but uh, people definitely uh, cautious. And RCMP would say rightfully so. They're urging everyone to remain cautious. Nathaniel, thanks for your time and the update. We appreciate it. Thank you, Andrew. That's Global News reporter Nathaniel Dove. You know, I think we learned a lot from, sadly, the Nova Scotia massacre about getting the information out there quickly and police acting on things really quickly because, you know, as Nathaniel talked about there, they, they sent out emergency alerts about the suspect and bypassed the usual police practice of verifying information and then surrounded that house because they said uh, the, the, it was sort of outweighed the benefit of holding on to that information until they could determine if it was reliable. They wanted to act on it immediately and obviously nobody in that one particular house that they were looking in and uh, Regina Police uh, Chief Evan Bray said as uh, Nathaniel mentioned as well that they don't believe that he is in that community particularly any longer where he is nobody seems to know yeah and it's can you imagine and as I asked Nathaniel within that uh, segment he had mentioned that some of the hotels still locked out the businesses you're worried yeah and maybe you lock the door until you can go and open it for a customer when you see who they are scary scary times I can't I can't imagine. I've never been in a situation like that. And to that same point, when it comes to the alerts, you know, we've had so many people talk about how they're an inconvenience and they're annoying. Unless you're in that situation. <laughs> yeah. And guess like what? And in the case of an Amber Alert, when it comes to a child, if you're a parent, oh, any tool in the toolbox mm. you can have to get your child home safely. And it is pretty incredible that we have a system like this that we can roll out kind of whenever we need to. And it works, Andy. It It does work. Keeping the eyes open. So hopefully everybody remains vigilant and they can catch this guy pretty quickly before he does any more damage. It's just been a horrible situation. Uh, By the way, universities, First Nations universities in Regina, Saskatoon, Prince Albert, etc., they're all holding a big candlelight prayer vigil this evening, all in conjunction and then honoring the victims of the stabbings and... uh, I think it's just a way for sort of, you know, people to come together and express their grief, right? It, 
it, it helps when you can do it in a in a group and yeah, be able yeah. to to share how you're feeling. So uh, it's just it's a terrible situation. I hope they get this guy. Particularly coming together during times that we've never experienced, mm-hmm. times where you know you're looking for an answer, and, and guess what? There there really isn't yeah. an answer. Um, it, it's just you know being there for those who need the help, who need that companionship right now. What a scary time. So again, uh, hopefully get some more details coming up from authorities later today. Community organizations, politicians, and people from across Canada are offering support for those impacted by the mass stabbing spree in Saskatchewan over this past weekend. Grief counseling is one of the supports being offered, obviously. To explain the importance of this type of counseling, especially for Indigenous communities, we're joined this morning by Kimberly Canal, who is a registered psychologist and the owner of Courageous Leadership in Edmonton. Good morning to you, Kimberly. Thanks for your time this morning. Good morning. How crucial is grief counseling in a mass event like this? You know, it's so difficult to experience these tragedies and it brings up so many emotions for us and also reminds us of past traumas that we've gone through. And so, you know, the ability to be able to recognize our feelings Um, be able to sit with them, be able to process them is so important. And so whether you do that with friends, families, or professionals, it's really an important step in being able to heal and move forward. I'm wondering if you can help us with this, Kimberly, the approach to counseling, does it change based on the communities affected? Meaning, you know, for example, with a history of trauma already, do we deal with Indigenous communities differently? You know, the human experience is something that's universal, but there's certainly some special considerations that are addressed when you're dealing with um, people that you know have generational trauma. And so, um, you know, whether that's for Indigenous communities or others, I mean, it's it's always something that's really important for therapists to um, to keep in mind. And in fact, anyone who is talking to people, uh, especially helping them through tragedies like this. And it can't stop quickly either, does it? I mean, sometimes you don't know when the, the trauma will even come up, that it may not be immediate for some of the folks in these areas. So how long do we offer supports when it comes to such a a traumatic and and large event like this? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think that's one that doesn't have an easy answer because the nature of our brains is that, you know, there's a long capacity to remember things, right? And sometimes we get what's called triggered by a certain sight or a sound or a smell. And that can happen years after the actual event. And so I think what's really important is to make sure that resources are available at any stage and that, you know, it's not important to move quickly through this process which I think because these feelings are so uncomfortable, many people uh, want to move quickly through it, but this is not a step-by-step process. It's kind of an up and down process. And so patience with yourself, patience with, you know, people around you that the things could come up and just, you know, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable is really an important step in this process. Speaking with Kimberly Canal, a registered psychologist and owner, Courageous Leadership. Kimberly, in 2022, with social media, 
uh, with mainstream media. Uh, you don't have to be within a community of an event like this. You don't have to be in the province next door. You could be in the Maritimes, for example, and it could have an effect, couldn't it? Uh, reading these headlines, hearing these stories, is this something that uh, geography has no handle on? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've just all been through collectively a pandemic, which has added, you know, a layer of, um, you know, dare I say trauma to all of us because we've been through something really hard. And that makes us a little more susceptible to things, to other things that are hard. And now that we're seeing, you know, events like this unfold in Canada, it feels really close to home, you know, and so people can feel uncertain and and a little bit scared about the future, you know, thinking, well, things like this could happen nearby. Um, and so that's really important to, number one, address those feelings and also to put them in perspective, talk with others who feel the same way and, um, you know, really look for ways to help out in these situations, empowering ourselves really does help us feel um, a little more sense of control when things feel so uncertain. Kimberly, thanks for your time in the discussion this morning. Thank you. That's Kimberly Canal, registered psychologist and owner of Courageous Leadership. I also want to point out that there is a, a specific phone line. It's called the Hope for Wellness line. It's available to support all Indigenous peoples. It can be reached online at hopeforwellness.ca or 1-855-242-3310. So specific helps. This can be a really big trigger. And again, you know, we talked about what happened in Nova Scotia a couple of years yeah. back. This could be triggering for folks there. I think it's so important, no matter what the situation, this obviously one is, it's going to take some time and a lot of people are going to need a lot of help to get through this. But grief counseling is so, so key. You cannot leave it bottled up. You've got to, you just simply have to deal with it because it will remain with you forever. There's the thing. Is, Is it a rough patch? Are you having a bad day? Or is this something that is in the back of your mind and is affecting your mood, affecting your life, affecting your behavior? And I, I do believe that we've come a long way from even even if you look 10, 15, 20 years ago with people reaching out for help. It used to be very secretive. Oh, so yeah. Don't talk, about, talk that. about that. What's wrong with you? What do you need help for? Yeah. And I, I notice it myself. Past that. Yeah. I notice it myself when I hear stories like these. I, I'm sure to just not not delve too deep. I get the facts and I because I find it affects me. I was yeah. the first reporter on the scene at the Pine Lake tornado, tornado tragedy in 2000. And that has affected you since, yeah, there's it? Well, yeah. I mean, I do know there was 13 deaths and it was a case you don't know, but then like down the line, you can feel it. You mm-hmm. can feel this weight and, and this anxiety almost in your chest when you've been around something traumatic. It, it, we had uh, a terrible situation with uh, a, a lovely young boy who passed away in fact, just early yesterday morning, he had an accident over the weekend. A uh, good friend of my son's, we're friends with the family. It's traumatizing for my kids, for his family, for all the kids at school. They made the announcement at school for the kids yesterday morning. You know, just a, a terrible way to start the school year, a, a terrible situation. We, we don't ever expect young children 
to pass away in that oh. way or to even, you know, something we have to deal with. As parents, it's, it can be traumatizing to everyone involved. And I'm really pleased that the school brought in grief counsellors and trauma counsellors right away yesterday morning to yeah. deal with the kids, not only in the grade affected by the young boy that passed, but also his siblings' grades and the whole school is going to be affected by something like that. And I think it's, you know, we need to pay attention to those things. My brother passed away quite suddenly a few years ago and I went through AHS. They have a wonderful program by the way, for specifically for sibling loss, for child loss, for parental loss. So they actually deal specifically with your type of loss. And it is free. It is open to everybody. And it is a wonderful, wonderful system that they have there. So if you have something like this happening in your life, you simply have to reach out and get help. There are resources. Yeah. You just have to get your hands on that phone or um, send them a note. Mm-hmm. I'm sure many of them even do texting these days. No doubt. Russia's war on Ukraine has been going on for more than six months now, and Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, has warned citizens about potential cuts to oil and gas supplies ahead of the cold winter weather. The attack on energy is the latest in Russia's attempt to take over Ukraine. And joining us now with an update is Christian Loipresh, professor at the Mount Royal at the Royal Military College and Queen's University. Good morning to you, Professor. Good morning. How are you? Thanks so much for joining us once again. Always appreciate your time. Is this something that really is going to be of concern with this threat to Europe's energy supply and therefore for the people of Ukraine? Oh, no doubt. I mean, this is probably the greatest threat, not just in terms of the stability of uh, of democracies in continental Europe, but also the greatest threat to their prosperity. And so the combination of sort of economic disruption and potential populist uh, political disruption, if people can't heat their homes or um, if uh, industries can't produce uh, Germany's uh, BASF, for instance, that consumes about 15% of gas imports to Germany in its manufacturing processes, it'll have serious global uh, global disruption. And so uh, this is, of course, uh, an area where Canada could be doing a lot more in order to contribute both to global stability and to global prosperity. We're hearing news that Finland and Sweden have offered financial support to avoid an energy crisis. How will this help? Because the money is one thing. Where would that energy come from? Yeah, so these are both countries that uh, have long had more energy and otherwise also military sovereign um, approach to their policies. And so that means they have built up reserves and at the same time have multiple redundancies uh, on electricity, on gas and other forms of energy built into their systems from which they can now benefit in the way that most uh, EU and NATO member countries in continental Europe uh, can not. And so I think this is also those two countries strategically trying to demonstrate right from the beginning uh, that they can add significant value to the NATO alliance, not just in terms of their military expertise, uh, but in terms of their traditionally more sovereign uh, approach to their own foreign policy. And at the same time, it's demonstrating that uh, countries that are technically neutral, such as Ukraine, um, and nonetheless uh, can benefit, for instance, from, uh, from support from key allies and partners in the West. Is this Putin's biggest sort of card that he's been holding up his sleeve as winter approaches? 
Sure. I mean, this has always been his gamble. I mean, this has been his gamble ever since he came to power. He knew that Europe disproportionately relies on energy resources from Russia and has in many ways for decades. I mean, this goes back to the 1960s and uh, Germany effectively having helped to build out the Russian pipeline network uh, in an effort to uh, transform then the Soviet Union through trade. And uh, both uh, Chancellor Merkel and Chancellor Schroeder doubled down, obviously, on that particular policy in the uh, in the process abandoning the traditional German approach of a more sovereign and independent energy policy. Um, and Putin was quite happy to play into that because it provided very cheap energy for Germany. It meant that Germans didn't have to pay the actual price. Um, of uh, the cost of energy on the global market by procuring it at discount prices from Russia. And uh, Putin was quite happy and willing to sell it to them at discount prices. At the same time, Putin has long made sure that no other pipelines are built to Europe, whether that's through Turkey and the interventions in both Libya and especially Syria, where ultimately about making sure those do not become transit countries uh, for African or for um, Middle Eastern energy. And you might say that he has very much succeeded at this strategy as everybody's now scrambling to try to figure out um, whether they can backfill without Russia and what that backfill and transition looks like. Professor, thanks for the update. Thanks for your time this morning. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. That is Christian Loy Presht, professor at the Royal Military College and Queen's University. September is Pain Awareness Month, and one pain that affects a lot of Canadians but has relatively unsuccessful treatment is chronic pain. Dr. Kelly Shankarik is a chronic pain lead and anesthesiologist at Sabi Mind Clinic and joins us to talk about how her clinic is using some different therapies to try and heal and deal with chronic pain. Good morning to you, doctor. Thanks for joining us. Oh, great. Thanks for having me. How do we define chronic pain, and, and, and can it be related to any disease at all? Yeah, so chronic pain is generally accepted, or by definition, as pain that lasts longer than three or four months following an injury or a trauma. Uh, that said, there are a lot of other chronic conditions that aren't necessarily an injury or trauma in that uh, traditional sense. It can be things like osteoarthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, um, cancer-related pains, so there are a variety of uh, types of pains that can influence and be defined as chronic, uh, but generally three months um, beyond when we would expect a normal healing to have occurred. So it can be recurring, but doesn't have to be consistent. Is that right? So yeah, chronic pain can live in a, a variety of realms. So for many people, they experience constant pain. Uh, that means that sometimes they'll wake up in pain in the morning and it might settle down and it might kind of come and go throughout the day, uh, but oftentimes it is present all the time. Um, and then in other cases, so people with um, chronic migraines, for example, may have um, headaches on you know a few days a month or several days a week, and then between those episodes, they may have uh, they may be pain free. Dr. Sabi is one of the only clinics in Alberta using a specific treatment, ketamine therapy, for chronic pain. Can you explain what it is? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So ketamine is a medication. It's been used since, well, it was developed in the 1960s, and it's been used since that time, um, mostly in the emergency department, the operating room, um, and as an analgesic for acute pain. That said, for probably at least the last 20 years, there's been interest 
throughout the world in whether it can be used for chronic pain conditions. Uh, because it works in, uh, on different receptors than what uh, traditional uh, analgesic medications, so things like acetaminophen or ibuprofen or even opioid medications, this works in a different way on different receptors. And so there has been interest for, for decades, and it's just now starting to come to Canada. Uh, we've known about it for many, many years, of course, but it hasn't been uh, largely available for, for patients and for sufferers of chronic pain. And so uh, Sabi Mind is offering uh, ketamine therapy both for mood disorders like um, chronic refractory uh, depression as well as post-traumatic stress disorder, but also for chronic pain conditions. We have a, a virtual discussion uh, coming up. Can you tell us about that? So because uh, September is Pain Awareness Month, we wanted to offer um, an event to try to help uh, bring more attention and more understanding about the condition and our uh, specific treatment. So September 29th, um, that's Thursday, uh, it's uh, available. You can sign up through the Eventbrite webpage, um, and you can check it out at SabiMind, S-A-B-I-Mind.com. And is it free for people to just kind of get in and find more information out? Yep, it's okay. free, um, and I'll be uh, leading the conversation, and then uh, there will be lots of time for questions, and, and hopefully it will be uh, interesting and engaging for, for anyone that's um, interested in finding out more about ketamine-assisted chronic pain therapy. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Appreciate it. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Dr. Kelly Shankarik is the chronic pain lead and anesthesiologist. Uh, I knew I was going to get that. Anesthesiologist at Sabi Mind. You can go to sabimind.com. It's S-A-B-I, sabimind.com slash chronic pain. I about, uh, you'll recall, Sue, because I... I know what you're going to normally, say because I do. Normally, I, I don't uh, complain, as you know. As, I'm a man. I don't complain about pain or colds or anything like that. <laughs> about a month ago, three weeks ago, all of a sudden, I woke up and the side of my hip, it was from working out. Mm-hmm. And they often say that, you know, from your joints and from your legs... And, and the giant motion. muscles that you have That's built it. in your body. The sheer power of my legs and calves. So um, it felt like somebody had hit me with a baseball bat yeah. right in my hip. And you were hobbling around that, and crying. That lasted about, I had to uh, lay it on the ground saying, somebody hold me, cast <laughs> me my blankie. Um, that lasted for about four days. And it was immense. And you think, when, you, when you're feeling great, when everything is going fine, you, you never consider this. And I thought, to have a chronic thing, like, you know, people who suffer from back pain, I can't even imagine. Like, I'm a wimp. It takes me four days. <laughs> I wasn't so going to say it. My heart goes out to you if you yeah. suffer from chronic pain because it's the real deal. You know, we, we're joking because, you know, when you have something, it's Ooh. just an injury at one point. But to be oh, constantly yeah. every day when you wake up, no, I can't imagine either. So maybe that's an option for you. It's worth checking it out, right? It's worth finding out more information. Yeah, anything to, to feel more like yourself, to feel better yeah. and actually live life. <laughs>